beautiful morning to worship, amen. Why don't you join us this morning? God, you are so good and so worthy of our praise. We love you. We honor you with every breath we sing.
Crashing now, I have the earth. 
Hallelujah. Well, you know, that song says, when I open up my mouth, when I shout and when I open up my mouth, miracles start breaking up. So let's, uh, breaking out. Let's just lift our voices and let's lift our hands. Lord, we glorify you. We thank you for the victory that is ours through the Lord Jesus Christ. We open up our mouth and we shout. We open up our mouth and we give you thanks. Hallelujah. We open our mouth and declare that victory is ours. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> we rejoice. We rejoice. We rejoice. We rejoice. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For the promises of your word, for that which you've said is ours, O oh Lord, we rejoice. We bless you. We thank you. We thank you for the victory that is ours. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Why don't you say this? Let's speak the word together with our voices. Hallelujah. Say it like you mean it. Thank God I am an overcomer because of the blood of Jesus. I will not go over under because he puts me over. I can do all things through Christ. or fear or defeat but he gave us the necessary powers and tools to live as overcomers hallelujah and sometimes you know you just have to uh, we used to say this when I was younger you have to pick yourself up by the nape of the neck and tell yourself stand and declare the Word of God and choose to believe it and declare it amen it's power hallelujah thank god for his faithfulness to us amen praise the lord we're going to dismiss the children at this time to their class uh, someone is back there who's going to mr dean is back there he's going to lead you to your class and then the rest of us if you uh, just want to uh, give a hello to people around you this morning give them a warm welcome find out their name and then after you've done that you may be seated for those of you who are worshiping with us online today we're so glad that you're here we're sending you a great big hug over the internet 
telling you we're glad that you're here. Amen. We know you'll be blessed. Thank the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, it's good to be together in church and in air conditioning, isn't it? I thank God for air conditioning almost every day. That's the least of the things that we take for granted that the Lord does for us. Amen. If you're visiting with us today for the first time, I met a few folk. We're so glad that you're here. And if you wouldn't mind, there's a Connect card uh, in the seat in front of you. If you wouldn't mind just uh, filling that out, dropping it in the offering. We'd just like to uh, know that you were here. If there's anything that we can do for you or pray with you about, if you just want to communicate with us to that, through that Connect card, if, you don't, if we don't uh, communicate with you personally, and uh, we will be in touch with you. Praise the Lord. We had a um, fun, you know, youth don't say, youth do a whole lot of fun stuff, Pastor Chip. He's wandering around back there looking around. They do a lot of fun stuff, and they, uh, they had a pool party at our house. We have called it Club Web um, for many years. Yeah, Club Web. In fact, somebody who is probably in their 30s, commented on a, a post about the pool party and they live in another part of the country now and they said oh we remember club oh yeah I know who it was they're in New Hampshire I remember club web I mean we're talking 20 or 25 years ago we last longer than some hotels anyway we, they had a lot of fun and um we always have fun when they come so uh we love our young people, we love our youth, and um, we appreciate them. We appreciate all those who help with them, and we appreciate Pastor Chip, and um, amen. Uh, today, after the service, as uh, most of you probably know, we're going to have our indoor church picnic, praise the Lord, and so um, there's plenty of food. If you didn't plan to stay, please stay with us, uh, and um, because we have more than enough, and uh, we have a wonderful time of fellowship together and good food. We do this from time to time, and it's just good, you know. We really try to follow what the Bible says about who is the church and what does the church do, and the early church, they were about uh, teaching and preaching, growing in God, discipling. They were about uh, loving one another and praying for one another. And they fellowshiped uh, around food, actually. And um, so uh, those are some of the main things, you know, that the church did. And so we try to do all of those things. Amen. And you're just, we're going to mind you real quickly uh, that there's a, a men's ministry on August 21st and then a ladies Bible study on August 22nd. So put those on your calendar. Praise the Lord. We're going to have the ushers come at this time and we're going to receive um, our tithes and offerings and worship the Lord in this way. Hallelujah. You can find uh, envelopes, as you know, in the seats in front of you or give electronically as what is said on the screen. Let's pray. 
Lord, we come today with thankful hearts and with grateful hearts for all that you do for us. Hallelujah. Many things we know about, but Lord, there are so many things you do for us. We're not even aware of it. And so even for those things, we say thank you. Even for those things, Lord, we are grateful. And sometimes, Lord, the things that you do for us are so great and so miraculous that our human minds can't even wrap themselves around what you, what you are involved in right now. And so the words, thank you, can't even express the gratitude in our heart for Jesus, for all that Jesus has provided for us, for all that Jesus does for us on a daily basis. We thank you for our church, and we thank you for the body of Christ. We pray for each that they would be strengthened with mighty power by your spirit, that our eyes would be open to the truth, that we would walk in the light, that we would walk in the truth. We come now today with our tithes and offerings, symbol of our, the first of our labors, and we bring it to you to worship you. We thank you that you take care of us and that you provide for us. You provide for our families. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Once you've been, had a chance to give your offering, please join us for this last song. Oh, 
heaven break out come now in power cover this land like you've done it before would you do Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. Well, let's make our confession together. This is our year of Jubilee. We expect manifestations of the Holy Ghost and power. We believe for financial miracles and miracles of healing in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Say it with me. The Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. Amen. You may be seated. Genesis chapter 1 tells us the creation account of this world and everything that we know concerning the physical realm. It says that God created everything that he made in six days. And in that sixth day, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over the, all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Notice in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God gave them instruction to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. They had no knowledge at, at that point in time of the devil, the presence of the devil, the work of the devil, the person of the devil. Because God gave dominion to mankind, dominion over the earth, not just dominion over the devil. Now in Psalm 8, this creation account of man was a much bigger thing than we seem to take knowledge of. Psalm 8, beginning in verse 1, O Lord our God, how excellent is thy name in the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength. Notice your strength is in your mouth. Your strength is dependent on what you say. Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, and the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. This word angels is the word Elohim. It literally says God made him a little lower than God himself. 
and has crowned him with glory and honor. Thou hast made him to have dominion over the works of thy hand, and has put all things under his feet. Now in Hebrews chapter 2, Paul tells us, verse 6, But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? That one is a reference to the angels that he's instructing us about. So the one that's referred to must be a significant angel, must be an angel of strength or renown of some, some sort. Verse 7, Thou have made him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor and did set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all things in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. Paul goes on to tell the Hebrew Christians that the angels would like to look into or would like to be included in the redemptive plan for mankind. It says, the Bible says that our redemption, our place with God is greater than the place the angels have with God. Now the angels are dedicated to one and only one thing, and that is to bring about the will of God in the earth. We have examples in the Bible of the angels operating at God's direction toward mankind. But what we have as children of God is greater than anything the angels have. Everything that God created, he put under man's authority or dominion. Now the Bible tells us about how Israel came to be captive in Egypt or captive to Egypt. And God heard the cry of his people and sent Moses back to Egypt to operate on God's behalf toward Pharaoh and to redeem the children of Israel. And the Bible tells us of the ten plagues that Moses 
brought against the people of Israel? And the things that took place, the plagues that took place, were either working of miracles in operation or the gift of faith, special faith that took place. One of the plagues, the first plague was the Nile River turned to blood. But really, it goes further than that. All water turned to blood. Now, the change in physical makeup was something that is most miraculous of probably anything else that we have record of. The Bible talks about the plague of frogs. It tells about the swarms of flies. It tells us about Lies being created from the dust of the earth. Now, when God created the earth, when he created the universe, really, he put certain physical laws in motion. For example, the law of gravity was set in motion so that it would work every time, every day. Wouldn't it be interesting if gravity just worked part-time? Certain days of the week But God's word, the things that God says, superseded the physical laws of gravity. The Bible tells about a time when Elisha was approached by certain people. Someone had borrowed an axe and somehow or another, the axe head came off. And it was in a, a body of water, a lake or something. But God instructed Elisha how to get it back. And so he had a little stick. And he threw the little stick in the water. And gravity was suspended as a result of his action. And it tells us the axe head floated to the surface. And it says that the axe head swam. So it not only came to the surface, it moved toward the, the shore.
there are other times where physical laws of nature were superseded. Jesus walking on the water. That was an example. Now something's physical properties changed. I don't know if the place where Jesus put his foot solidified to provide a way for him to walk on the water. The Bible tells us one example of Jesus walking on the water and he gets close to the ship that the disciples are in and there's a big windstorm that's taking place. Peter asks him, if it's him, let him walk on the water to him. And Jesus said, come. And Peter stepped out of the boat and started walking on the water to Jesus. But he got distracted by the circumstances. He saw that the wind was still blowing hard and the waves were still high and the water was rough. And he began to sink. Jesus reached out and took his hand and they both got it back into the, the, the boat together but that the boat was instantly transported to the other side. Now folks, if the, if the boat was instantly transported to the other side, why didn't Jesus just get that, get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee just by that method? Why walk on the water? Why not just be transported? <clears throat> the Bible tells us of others that were transported. I believe that mankind has a lot more power available to them than what we take notice of. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. In verse 1, it tells us Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Assyria, made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits. That's about 90 feet tall. And the breadth thereof, six cubits. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now he set in motion commands that when the children of Israel heard the songs play at certain times of the day, that everyone was commanded to bow down to the image and worship Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, in making this commandment, commanded that anybody that didn't fall down and worship the image shall in the same hour be cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. 
It also tells us that there were certain ones that snitched on Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego to tell the king that they weren't bowing down to worship the image. So Nebuchadnezzar calls for these three guys and asks him what's going on. Verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do you not serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if you be ready, that at what time you shall hear the sound of the music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall save you out of my hands? So he's offering him a chance to wipe the slate clean if they're ready to worship the next time they hear the music. The Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. In other words, they've thought this thing through and they've come to a plan. If it be so, verse 17 now, if it be so, has to do with their response to Nebuchadnezzar's threat. Nebuchadnezzar very simply said, if you fall down and worship the next time you hear the music, then we'll count everything as even, and I won't throw you in the furnace, but if you don't, fall down and worship me, then I will throw you in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. So the three Hebrew children that grew up to be advisors in Assyria said that if it be so, in other words, if you throw us into the furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king, but if not, if you don't throw us in, be it known unto you, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spoke and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than was wont to be healed, heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats and their hosen and their hats and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. As far as the three Hebrews were concerned, the question really came down to what, what the king would do, not what they would do. They've already determined that they're not going to fall down and worship the image of Nebuchadnezzar, no matter what the consequence is. So if he throws him in, throws them in, they simply answer, answer his question. Nebuchadnezzar said, who is the God that will deliver you out of my hand? And they just simply answer, our God will. 
But if you don't throw us in, we're still not worshiping your image. Now in Sunday school classes in the Baptist church, I heard this story where the, the, uh, the agent of change wasn't going to be Nebuchadnezzar, but it was the three Hebrews that are mentioned. But if that were the case, then Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't have any reason to get mad. But he was mad because they resisted him. He, he was mad, full of rage and fury, because they simply told him, we're not we're bowing down to worship your image. If you throw us into the fire, God will save us. But if you don't, we're still not worshiping your image. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is at this point in time king of Assyria. He's the most powerful man on the face of the earth. And he's got these three guys that are advisors. Resisting his command and simply telling him, if you don't throw us in, we're not worshiping your image. Verse 22, therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and his furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The mightiest of his army were destroyed by the fire, the power of the fire, just by opening the door to throw these three guys in. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And the answering said unto the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Now the form of the fourth like the Son of God must be something like the transfiguration experience that the Bible tells us about. There must have been something about his appearance that caused Nebuchadnezzar to think that he was the son of God. The only thing I can think of in the scripture that it might be like is the transfiguration. You remember when Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him. He was transfigured. His garments and his appearance changed. 
and Moses and Elijah appeared. And remember, Peter said something like, let's build houses and stay here. Folks, the presence of God has a drawing effect that's so great that to experience it is beyond any kind of other kind of experience you could have here on the earth. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors, being gathered together, saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power. Now some physical law is suspended in this case. I don't know if the physical law affected the fire or if it affected these three guys so that the fire couldn't hurt them. But one way or another, the physical properties of either the fire or their bodies was changed. Upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their heads singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed upon them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies, that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which shall speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. I can't get away from this. There must be some things that God is going to do that will rival the kind of miracles that took place in the Old Testament and also took place in Jesus' ministry here on the earth. The power of God's word is so great that it can change or supersede the physical laws of nature that maintains the livelihood of man here on the earth. 
One thing that you don't see happening anywhere in the Gospels is Jesus panicking. There's no place where Jesus has to explain to his disciples, I thought that was going to work. And there are places in Scripture where it identifies that the physical laws of nature simply didn't apply. God's creative power that sustains this earth and sustains the universe can very easily be interrupted. By obedience to his word. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Well, let's back up a little further than that. Verse 19, Jesus said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust does corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust does corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye, and if therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in mammon. Now Jesus is teaching about our attitude toward money, what our attitude should be toward money. Verse 25, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 
Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. The attitude that he tells us to have is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness instead of seeking after money or seeking after earthly or physical things. Now, that doesn't mean that God won't help you. He's already said that he'll provide for you. He's simply saying that worrying about money doesn't help. But instead, we should focus our attention on the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And as a result, God will add these things to us. And the things that he's talking about are clothing, food, money for provision and so forth. Now, Jesus defined the kingdom of God as the will of God being carried out on the earth just like it is in heaven. He taught his disciples to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they said, some say that you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, and others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus then said to them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the rock that he's talking about using as a foundation for the church is the knowledge of who Jesus is. Not something inherent in Peter. If Peter is the foundation for the church, that might explain why the church doesn't do more than it does. But he says, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he charged his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Now, the knowledge that Jesus is the Messiah 
puts us in a position to receive the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, what are these keys of the kingdom of heaven that he's talking about? Well, again, the definition of the kingdom of God, in this case, is the kingdom of heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When God created the earth and made an end of his creative activity, after six days, he rested on the seventh day. There was nothing on the earth that could hurt mankind. There was no sickness or disease. There was no poverty or lack. Now we would have to acknowledge that the fact that there is nothing that could hurt mankind was the result of the creative activity of God in those first six days as being the will of God for how things should operate here on the earth. It wouldn't make sense for God to create the earth without sickness and disease if he wanted his children to have sickness and disease. If it was the will of God at any point in time for man to have poverty or lack to experience those things, then why would he have made the earth so fruitful and plentiful before he even put man in the middle of it? God provided for everything that man would ever need before he created him and gave him dominion over the work of his hands. Now these keys to the kingdom of heaven indicate that God wants things to operate here on the earth the way he created them to work. And those keys are specifically identified as having something to do with authority. He says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Well, if he's talking about binding and loosing, he's talking about changing things. And the things that he expects to change would be things that hinder or work contrary to the will of God on the earth. Luke chapter 10 tells us that after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place where he, he himself would come. Therefore he said unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. 
verse 8, and into whatsoever you city, into what, whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. If healing wasn't part of the kingdom of God, then he wouldn't tell the disciples, the 70, to heal the sick first and then to tell them this is part of the kingdom of God. So healing must be, the healing power of God must be a part of the kingdom of God where the will of God is done on the earth just like it is in heaven. Well, nobody expects there to be sick people in heaven, do they? Then the way for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God to be carried out here on the earth is to partake of the healing power of God when necessary. Verse 10, but into whatsoever city you enter and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets of the same and say even the very dust of your city which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be you sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. So even if people refuse or reject the healing power of God, reject the truth that God wants his people healed, he said even the rejection of that idea or that truth doesn't change the fact that the kingdom of God or the teaching of the kingdom of God was delivered to them. We see some places where this took place. In Nazareth, the Bible says that the people rejected Jesus and Jesus could there do no mighty work. It doesn't say he wouldn't. It says he couldn't. He could there do no mighty work Say that he laid his hands upon a few sickly folks, folks with minor ailments, and healed them. And he went about their cities in the synagogues teaching. One thing he was certainly teaching is the will of God to heal. That's what kept him from it through a lack of knowledge. So like it or not, take it or not, the Bible tells us that healing is part of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is what we're to put our attention on. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and God will add all the physical things, riches and provision to us. Now these 70 come back returned to Jesus in verse 17. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. 
And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Those two words, power, in verse 19 are different words. The first word, power, is literally the word authority. The second word, power, means ability. So he said, Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the ability of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice. Rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So Jesus created man to have authority here on the earth. He identifies, the Bible identifies for us that authority is exercised or put to use through the words that we speak. Just as God's creative power created the word, the world through words. In the same manner, we utilize our authority, put to work our authority through the words that we speak. And since Jesus gave to his disciples the keys to the kingdom of heaven, that by implication instructs us to do the same thing. We have a legitimate right to bind or resist sickness and disease and utilize the keys of heaven, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. Bring it under control and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. He gave us dominion for the purpose of using it to keep our world under control. There is no other place in the scripture that says with certainty and clarity 
as Genesis 1.26, that God's purpose for mankind is to utilize authority over everything in this world that contradicts or works contrary to the kingdom of God. And remember what the kingdom of God is. It's where the will of God is done in the earth just like it's done in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we worship you. We magnify your name. Thank you, Father, for making your will known to us. Thank you that healing is a part of your will. And it's directly connected to the kingdom of God. Thank you, Father, that Jesus went about their cities and villages preaching the gospel of the kingdom and teaching in the synagogues and healing all that were sick for you were with him. Father, we exercise our authority here in the earth and refuse to accept sickness and disease. We know that the devil has a right to bring temptation, temptation to sin and temptation to accept sickness and disease. But we, we refuse to allow sickness and disease to remain. Jesus was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Thank you, Father, for your healing mercy. We rest in you, Lord, because the price for sickness and disease has been paid for. We magnify your name, Jesus. And we know that you paid a price with your holy blood. The price for every sickness and every disease has been paid for because healing is your perfect will for your children.
we're not under the curse, the curse of the law, which includes sickness and disease. For Christ has ransomed us. He died on the cross for our sins, our sickness, and even poverty or lack. He died so that the blessing of Abraham would come upon the Gentiles, come upon us. So Satan, take your hands off our bodies. In Jesus' name. We are not under the curse of sickness and disease because of the price that Jesus paid. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our Redeemer, for being our Savior, for delivering us from every evil that exists on this earth. Bless you, Lord. Thank you for your healing mercy. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. everybody knows about the meals. Uh, if you want to just find your place, uh, Pastor Chip will lead us in prayer over there and um, and and uh, dismiss us by table. Hallelujah. Sorry, man. Precious presence of the Lord. Amen. And uh, if you'll just help your children to be served their food, we would appreciate that. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, we worship you and we thank you for today. We thank you for the word of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We love you, Lord. We worship you. Just as you're sitting there, why don't you just lay your hand on the person sitting next to you? Just on their shoulder is fine. You don't have to do it to air, you know. You can stay where you're sitting. You don't have to move. And Lord, we just pray one for another. Just minister strength, life, the peace of God. Hallelujah. We are the body of Christ. When one member suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we rejoice with them. 
So we thank you, Lord, that we are united in heart and we are united in spirit. And from the life of God that's on the inside of us, Lord, we minister life and strength to each other. Hallelujah. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for your presence in us and with us and among us. <laughs> oh, Jesus, we love you, Lord. We love you. Thank you. Thank you for what you are doing. Bless the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we're dismissed and... Um, just go have a wonderful time of fellowship and food. There's plenty.